Well, good morning. Good job, brothers. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be uh, in this passage very shortly. And I heard something on the radio the other day that uh, I thought was pretty cool. There's that verse in Job where Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. And the, uh, the DJ for Caleb said, uh, I know my Redeemer lives. And he went on to say, he goes, I had a conversation with him this morning. And uh, isn't that really it? Uh, we can have this conversation with him, whether we're worshiping just now or right here together today as you had this morning at the breaking of bread, but we can be conversing with them. So this Easter week, uh, that's something maybe you can share with someone. You can tell them, you know, I know my Redeemer lives because I had a conversation with them this morning. And I shared something on my Facebook yesterday where I was just thanking uh, God for this upcoming week and all that it means for my faith. And I had somebody write back who doesn't know Christ to my knowledge, and they just wrote a question mark and wrote, best wishes. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I need to be a bit more clear as to what next week is, which is this week we're in now, which is Easter week. And um, isn't it an awesome week at that, when we think of what Christ accomplished and as that last song so wonderfully conveyed. title this, uh, the message this morning, we're going to be looking at a few different verses, is um, Stoking the Fire. And really what I want to speak on and have us just reflect on for the next 25 or so minutes, because I have to be at work in a little while this afternoon, so you don't have to worry about me going too overtime today, is just how would you describe your relationship with Christ in the context of this? Is it passionate? I know it's kind of a, one of those questions, it's like, whoa, you know, it's kind of intense, first thing out the gate. But of all the words that describe your relationship, if you know God today, would passion be one of them? And I guess when you think about it, you probably know the definition already, but it's that intense, extreme, as the dictionary says, or overpowering emotion or feeling. It's that ardent re- affection or love. And you think about it as well in this context, that nothing great, it's been said, is ever accomplished in a life without passion. Isn't it true that passion takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary? You think about the, the different accomplishments in, in just the secular world, scientists, musicians, athletes, and those who stand out among us are those that have passion. I don't know if you find this, but I have found this true in my life, that without passion, uh, life indeed does become quite ordinary. It it becomes, um, dare I say at times, boring and a bit monotonous. And then something starts to creep in when there's not passion occurring in our life. And it's that word that starts with the letter A, and it's that letter or that word apathy. And it sets in. And when you think about it in just relationships in general, when you think about it in the context of a marriage, it's, it's one of those things that often happens. And when you see a troubled marriage, and God knows, and I say that respectfully, there's plenty of them around, even in the church today, one of the issues 
is there's a lack of passion. Something's not clicking with that husband or wife where they have passion. Now, maybe they have passionate fights, but they have to have something more than that, too. But you want to see passion. God wants us to be, uh, and because he is, he wants us to be passionate people. And when you come to this passage in Mark chapter 12, you, you see this in verses 28 to 34. The context of it is that the different leaders are drilling Jesus with lots of questions. And so in verse 28, there's another set of questions that they ask him. It says, one of the teachers of law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, of all the commandments, of everything that's in the Bible, which is the most important? Jesus said, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I love this. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? In verse 32, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God and from that or from then, no one dared ask him any more questions. You can understand why. That interesting. There's passion in that, that answer from Jesus, isn't there? Lord, of all the commandments, which is number one? And so for us simple folk here today, if we, if we don't know this already, when we walk out these doors, we will understand that the number one commandment of all the stuff that we want to follow and try and obey is this commandment to love God in the power of the Holy Spirit with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength. And nothing, nothing is more important than that. That's what Jesus is saying. It made me think of this, uh, the hymn that we often sing. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory but on my King of Grace, in that context of the passion that's in that hymn. You see, the Lord Jesus isn't interested in the attitude that says, well, I guess, I guess I'm the best ticket around. I guess there's no better alternative than maybe me. I guess there's no better alternative than the fact that as a child, this is how you were raised. You were raised in this kind of home. And so you're following just the faith of what your parents were in. Or maybe you're here an adult and it's your parents that have now passed on and are with Christ or grandparents. And so in a sense, you're, you're following and I'm following Jesus just because, you know what, it's kind of been what everybody else did in our family. And so it's kind of a, it's just the thing to do is to call ourselves Christians. To be, if you like, if we have to be committed, but not particularly passionate about who he is for ourselves utterly and totally convinced that he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
and that others can tell by the way that we live our lives and the way we speak that this Jesus that we're celebrating this week, who's risen from the dead, really means all that much to us. If you think about it and you think about what I and what you talk about in an average week, the things that are occupying our mind, just the conversations we're having, and all the things that are just kind of rambling around in that head of ours with all of our activity, if we're passionate about the Lord Jesus, he's in there somewhere. He's in conversation that isn't having to be forced to have with your friends, whether they're believers or not. You're not having to let's talk about Jesus, you know, or make some reference to what he talked with you and shared with you this coming week in the word. It's flowing. Some of you Giants baseball fans, I'm sure you're talking Giants baseball since they're now eight and six and they're winning again. Some of you who are following the Sharks in the playoffs, you're probably speaking about the Sharks. Never heard a game, never seen a game, they never watched a game. So I can't tell you exactly squat about the Sharks. But I bet you that somebody in this audience can. Those different things that we're, we're passionate about. The Message Bible, in the way it, it records this verse, and I love it, it says, Love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And the, the word passion in the Greek is the same word for the word heart. That's what God wants from us today. And you know this as well as I do, that our culture loves passion. It really does. It loves that energy, emotion, and that feeling. And it's okay to be passionate, isn't it, about just about anything and everything. Except if you start getting passionate about God. Then all of a sudden, that changes from being like the sports person who's a fan, and now you become described as fanatical. You're a fanatic. And usually when the word fanatic is used, it's not the most pleasant word of how it's being described today in 2011 of you or I. And that's intimidating to us sometimes. And so what happens? We don't really want to be described as a fanatic. We don't want to be, appear to be carried away and intoxicated with with Jesus Christ and absolutely uh, unashamedly loving him. So we kind of just quiet it down a little bit. In my Facebook entry uh, the other day or yesterday when I wrote it, there was just I was having a quiet time with God and I just felt led to write this sentence that I wrote. But at the end, I wrote, I love you, Jesus. Now, I don't, I've never written that before in my Facebook entry. And I'll be honest, after I wrote it, I was, part of me thought, ooh, that's a little bit vulnerable. That's, there's a lot of people that are going to read that uh, who don't maybe know Christ. And I've just written it. Is that, was that masculine to write that? Or what are, what are people going to do, you know, with that? What are some of the things that people have a passion for? If you were to click onto a website and say, a passion for, and you just leave it dot, dot, dot. You're going to find this. There are books that have been written and it has these following issues. There's a book that's been written on it that has a, it's called A Passion for Birds, A Passion for Books, A Passion for Cactus, A Passion for Chocolate. Now, maybe we can kind of understand that passion. A passion, and maybe some of us men, and I really mean men as well as women, could have a passion for fashion, which is a book, A Passion for Fishing. A passion for flying, for gardening, for golf, for hunting. There's also a book called A Passion for Mushrooms. 
And I don't know if that's to eat them or smoke them. I'm not sure the context of that. (laughs) A Passion for Needlepoint, Pasta, Ponies. There's also a book called A Passion for Potatoes, for Roses, for Shoes. And then one that I really don't understand because I didn't do any research on it, A Passion for Steam. And I don't really know what that's about, but A Passion for Steam. So the world identifies this. Passion. Where's ours? Romans 12:11. Paul says in this wonderful dialogue of just gems that he's just kind of bringing out when he's just just an awesome chapter. He says never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, a.k.a. also known as passion. But keep your spiritual fervor. Keep the fire stoked. Notice the word that he does say there. He says keep. And when I read that, it means that there's a choice here. You've got to keep up doing what you're doing. There's a certain discipline here, if you like, of continuing this. It's something that we choose to do, something that we need to maintain. And Paul says this. Keep your spiritual fervor. Because why? Because whether you're one year old in the Lord, five years old, ten years old, fifteen, we know the reality that that is something that needs to be maintained because it can be lost. It can fade. It can wane. And when I was thinking about this, and and these three areas, I'm being a little bit vulnerable today because these are the three areas for me that are the passion killers, if you like. There's probably 10 or 12. But as as I was studying this and reading up on this, I thought, you know what? These are, in fact, the three areas for me that can be the killers. And just maybe they're killers for you, too. And the encouragement and what I want to do is just use God to use me to motivate you to just check yourself, just to have a self-check and see where am I at? And and if you're not here, well, then just be careful to watch that this doesn't become a concern or an issue down the road, because it very well could. Those three issues that are passion killers and will work against, if you like, us developing this kind of zealous relationship with God. And the first one, and believe me, these aren't, you you don't have to be a a scientist to get these ones. Uh, These are easy. First one is a crazy lifestyle. And when I say a crazy lifestyle, what I mean is, and I I suspect that that's probably different here in the Bay Area where we live. And if we were all just to let's board a 747 today and all just head out to the south, uh, maybe we'll go to uh, Atlanta. We'll head out to um, maybe just the Tennessee area or something like that. Something tells me not just because they talk slower, but that they actually probably live slower kind of a life than we do here in the Bay Area. We, we live in a crazy lifestyle. And what I mean by that is, is that it's unbalanced. It's not in proportion. It's like when you look at your tires, and I trust you, you do this, and you see, you know, how's the wear on them? And you know that when the, when the balance is out, either there's too much wear on the inside, too much wear on the outside, but it's not right. They're out of alignment. The tread is wearing unevenly, and we need to address that issue. They need to be balanced. And God knows that because when God created seasons, he created, 
you know, obviously winter, spring, summer and fall. And so he has just, just this wonderful way of balancing it all out. He doesn't give us a summer 365 days a year or winter for that matter. I wouldn't mind the winter about nine months of the year, but, you know, I'll take what God gives on that, that we have four seasons and that he knows that this is uh, Ecclesiastes talks about this, that everything has its time. So God is this wonderful weaver of, of balance, and it's a good thing. There's this rhythm, if you like. I think of our dog, Skipper, who we've had about five years now. He's got this figured out. And if you have a dog, you kind of understand this. In the morning, he gets up. He does his business outside. He then comes in for about an hour. Then when I come down the stairs, he immediately runs out of uh, off his pillow to the door because he knows I'm going to kick him out for the next eight hours when it's sunny. So then he's outside, and he basically lays around and does jack diddly squat nothing for about eight hours. Maybe he barks once or twice, um, gets a sip of water, and just kind of patrols the backyard. Comes back in around 5.30, knows dinner's about 6. At around 8 o'clock every single night, gets out this, um, where his play area is, gets out these, this duck that he is just goes to, go, just like he just goes bipolar at that point at 8 o'clock. And he gets vicious, and he just tears it apart, and, and stops about 8.15, then he kind of does this thing for about 10 o'clock, and then he knows it's time to go into his crate. And if I don't say, well, I'll use the word crate, and I say crate, and he runs to it. Or if I turn off the TV, he runs to it, and he knows it's time. And every time for the last five years, I think I've maybe shared it before, I opened up the crate, and he goes absolutely crazy and vicious and shows his teeth because I don't know why it's his area, and I'm closing him in. And then he barks and goes just nuts for about 30 seconds, and then he goes to bed. And the same thing repeats itself. The cycle repeats. It, I'm guaranteeing it. Uh, that's how he'll be if today. But he has it figured out. He's got balance, and he kind of understands how to, how to live for him as a dog. When I think of the unbalanced, and looking at the room in this room, there's probably... Two examples, and it narrows down to just about that, of who we are. There are the overworked in this room, and you know who you are. I was convicted when I read this because I I came across Psalm 127, and I I love it in the Message Bible. It's very poignant in how it says it in verse 2. It is useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Can you relate to that? And I confess, uh, partly because it was shift change a week ago last, but I worked uh, 10 days straight, 110 hours uh, without a break. It was foolish. I needed to work seven. That was true. I did not need to work the extra two on top of that, which made it 110-hour Well, I don't know, it wasn't a work week. It was longer than that. But that was that verse that I found out, unfortunately, after. And I was convicted about it when I read it. And I said, you know, to the Lord, and I said it to my wife, who was not pleased at my work schedule that week at all. I said, you know, this is going to change. It's not balanced. And, you know, what happens there is passion in life and passion for God will start to wane when you're living an unbalanced life. And if you're working too much, not only talking in the secular job that you might have, but I'm talking about even those in the church, those of you who are probably like that football analogy where there's like the 22 players on the team who desperately need rest. And there's 50,000 folks in the audience that definitely need exercise. 
And some of you here may be like those 22 on the field. You need rest, but you're the doer. You're the Marthas. And you're working. And you're serving. You're working and you're serving in a variety of ways. And God honors that. But the danger is, if you keep on doing that, even with right motives, and you don't recharge those batteries spiritually in your own walk with God, well, you'll start to burn out. It's actually been described, as I read, someone wrote it as this. It's compassion fatigue. And really, what happens is, is you just eventually start to kind of get hardened and you start to care less because you've just been serving and serving and serving, but you're not getting refilled. Does that describe you today? Then, of course, there could be uh, and the other ex- person may be, and there's, these are the two extremes, if you like, is the underworked. And what's happening there is, is we're taken in. We're taken in like a sponge. We're absorbing. We're absorbing. We're doing all the right things. We're reading. We're listening to messages. We might even have Caleb, which I just found in the Castro Valley area, 87.7, which I never knew was exist- existent, existed until last week, so I'm like totally st- Stoked about that. I don't have the uh, satellite radio to listen to Christian music, so I rely on other stations. But you listen to Christian radio, you're reading, maybe even watch stuff on TV, and that's all good. But you're not giving any of it out. You're taking it all in, but it's not being squeezed out. All that knowledge that you're learning, all that good stuff that God's giving you, we're not really benefiting from it like we could. And over the years as a Christian, there have been those times when I have been willing to give, and then there's been other times that I've been withholding for a variety of reasons. And as someone has said, what's happening is is we're taking in all this great spiritual food and all the variety of ways we can do it, but we're getting fatter and fatter and fatter until pretty soon we're going to have to be rolled down the aisle. That's how fat spiritually we're getting. But we're not, it's not getting used up. It's not getting burned up. And we know just the analogy with the whole issue of weight. It's really not all that hard, even though zillions and zillions of books have been written on the whole subject of weight loss. We, we kind of know, isn't it, that you can't take in more than you take out. You've got to burn more than what you take in if you want to ever lose any. And here's the danger, though, and here's the cautionary verse if you're the underworked. And I say this lovingly to you, James 4.17. James writes this. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So the Spirit of God needs to speak to you, to you and to me as to if there's an opportunity for service, in his field, and it's a, it's a wide open harvest. There's many opportunity. Our small group uh, is doing something in the uh, next month that I've been wanting to do for a long time. We're going to be involved in helping to feed the, the poor with the opportunity of being able to share the gospel. I've wanted to do that for a long time. First, personally for me, and it's just my conviction, I have for, for the longest time wanted to, maybe on a Thanksgiving or on a Christmas, be involved in some kind of way to serve food to the needy. 
And if there's an opportunity to share with someone, and you know what, I haven't done it yet. And I have said it for the last couple of years. I really want to do that. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I love being with my family and friends. But guess what? I also want to take a few hours off and be involved in some way in God's kingdom in this kind of a way. It's just something that God's been putting on my heart specifically. Now I want to act on it. And so our small group, we have about 17, so it's not a totally small group. But um, we're going to get together for just two hours on a Saturday in May and do this in Oakland. And I'm, and I'm excited about it. James 4.17 is what's been speaking to me. I, I get the sense this is what God wants me to do. But if I don't do it, I really do take seriously, or I should take seriously, that next part of the verse, sins. You know, there's those kind of people that just are, are takers. They're just, they just take. Um, I've worked with some folks who they want to take as much time off as they can, and they just really want everyone to cover their shifts. But then when it comes time to say, hey, can you work for me? Uh, can you give in this area? Hey, can you hold an hour over? Uh, can you come in an hour earlier? Mm, I don't know. You know, I've got to kind of check my schedule, you know, and I'll get back to you. Givers and takers. In the truest sense of the right sense of the word, that's what God wants us to be. So this crazy lifestyle is one of the passion killers, and we've got to kind of figure out what is it of how God wants us to be working in our daily routine of what he has for us. And another passion killer is just, and for me, and I, it's just fresh off the table, frankly, uh, I'll elaborate in just a second, is unconfessed sin and unresolved conflicts. And when I mention these areas, you just can't overstate the how this kills passion in your relationship with God. They rob it. Psalm 38, David said this. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. He says, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. He goes on to say, though, a few verses later, the, the antidote to that, to that unconfessed sin, he says, I confessed my iniquity. And he says, I am troubled by my sin. So he confessed it, and he had an appreciation for his sin. Troubled by my sin. That's good. I'm in a a new group that I was asked to host. We have about, oh, I don't know, maybe 300 men where I fellowship. Maybe 400. And you know what? We're struggling with, as men in 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 the fellowship I'm in, in uh, as a group of men, and we call it an emergency meeting. It's 6.30 on a Saturday morning about a month ago. All men present. That's all it said. Emergency meeting, 6.30. Well, about 200 guys showed up. I got off at 6 that morning, so I thought, you know what? This sounds like it's worth it. Got there, and the uh, elders spoke to us and said, you know what? We're not a shining light in the area of morality and holiness among men. We're struggling with lust as a group of men. There's a variety of examples of it. Guys are involved in a lot of stuff from a a minor degree to a major degree in the area of lust and how it's affecting marriages and how it's affecting guys married or single. And we need to do something about it. And it was quite sobering. And uh, yet we knew we can't do it in our own strength. Uh, This is something we need to rely on God for and for his help. 
And so I was asked, uh, I volunteered, frankly, and it was part of James 4.17 because I hadn't been involved in something very specific as of late. So I said, I'm willing to serve in whatever way you need. And so um, they called and and they said, would you be willing to lead a group? And I said, sure. I knew what the topics were, they said. And it was a group on uh, addiction to pornography. And I said, okay. So we're meeting as a group of men. It's a small group. But, you know, the encouraging thing is, 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 is meeting with a group of guys who love Christ and want to have freedom from something that they're in bondage and enslaved to, to a varying degree. And I was listening to them share their heart last Thursday night. And it was so refreshing to just be with guys who got past uh, news, weather and sports and were willing to be open and vulnerable in a, in a very um, dignified way, honoring way to God where we're going to keep our confidences among each other, but just say, I need help. I, I need your support. I, and we're, we're looking through scripture verses and going to be going over books together. But being serious about it, where David said, I'm troubled by my sin. And that's what these guys were saying. And it was honestly really cool that there was this opportunity to do this together in our situation. Unconfessed sin, it's a passion killer. Then the other issue, kind of hand in hand, I want to make three points instead of uh, four, so I kind of lumped it in as the same, is this issue of unresolved conflicts. Man, you know this, don't you, from experience. Wherever you've had a conflict, in whatever context, it drains you, doesn't it? It just drains it like, a, like you just went over a nail driving your car and just the, tire, the tire just goes flat like that. It deflates. We could go last Wednesday, Cindy and I were... Driving in the car, I'd gotten off at that early morning. I was helping her to get her car dealt with at the Honda dealership. And it had all the potential to be a great day. We were going to be with our one of our kids and her, her husband for lunch. And uh, it was a day off. And it was been working all those crazy hours. And we were looking really forward to being together. And then a conflict occurred in the car. And it was kind of funny. Uh, you say, wow, you have conflicts? Yeah, I do. I'm st- married 30 years last month and still have conflicts now and then. And it was a crazy conflict. You probably are curious, what was the conflict? So I'm just going to tell you so you don't wonder about it all day. Um, the day before, I'd gone to the antique dealership in Niles Canyon to uh, appraise. That My task was to appraise a number of things that were my mother's, uh, who passed away in December, her items. And my, my wife is very close to my uh, was very close to my mom, so she was like a daughter in the truest sense. So these things meant a lot, and it didn't mean as much to my sister, who pretty much waived any interest, but my wife hadn't had a chance to go through these various dishes and cups and knickknacks and things like that, and so my task, which I volunteered to do, was to go to Niles and just to get it appraised. Well, I, it was like 65 pounds, 75 pounds in weight, all this stuff. And so I'm wheeling it. You know, thankfully, it had two wheels into this, all these antique stores. And somebody offers to start buying a couple things. And so I'm thinking, hmm, you know, it'll be about 60 pounds now versus 65 pounds in weight. And, you know, I don't think it's really going to matter. She didn't know what was in it anyway. And it doesn't mean anything to me. And so I went ahead and sold it. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And yes, and so in the car, driving home from dropping off her car at the Honda dealership, I just kind of sort of just matter-of-factly tell her this, you know. And she says, you what? (laughs) Not with that smile, actually. And not with that pitch of voice either. 
And then the ride home from Dublin to Castor Valley was one of silence. And it lasted, sadly, that conflict lasted well into the late evening. And by the time we resolved it, I missed out on the lunch with my daughter and son-in-law. And I'm just moping around now like a sick puppy. And by the time that we did, I was exhausted physically in the sense it was, it was nice that it got resolved. And that was, that was important. And I didn't want the sun to go down. But it, it, took, it took its toll. The passion that we had for one another that day, and even for my own walk with God that day, because of that sin and everything else that was going on, just got popped like a balloon. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, and this is in the area of conflict, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Meeting with a couple recently who have a son that is a wonderful Christian home, but have a son who has gone into, um, probably now for about the last eight, ten years, has gotten into drugs pretty heavily. And, uh, you know, just praying with them and just supporting each other, not judging them, uh, not judging even their son. That's not my place. Uh, he's hurting, and it's pretty serious stuff. He's made a profession, but got into the wrong group. And, you know, they know the person that was supplying their son with heroin. And I kind of said, how do you feel towards that person? And, you know, it was just, just the kindness of the Savior and grace that they said, you know, we forgive him. He's hurting. He's, that, that guy is in a desperate situation, desperate home, and we don't hold any bitterness. There's a part of me, if I knew somebody was supplying my kids, I'd want to go over there and just, you know, as much as I knew how, roll up my sleeve and... <laughs> They're practicing Ephesians 4. And I guarantee you this, if, if they were allowed bitterness and everything else that could creep into that whole sorry situation, which is still in, go, ongoing, their passion for the Lord would be lost as they took, let bitterness and anger and resentment take over. The last uh, passion killer, as we have time, is just this. It's not only the last two things I've talked about, but when I think about how to keep the fire stoked, and this is probably just as real to me as the other two. It's remembering how passionate God is for me. And this week of all weeks that we just really reflect on, it, does anything more need to be said? Really? But yet we're forgetful people, so it, it does. So let me say a couple more things for a few more minutes. Do you know today, and have you forgotten, and this, this is something that's not hard, what I'm going to say, but maybe it's been forgotten, is do you know how hopelessly in love God is for you today? Do you know how just absolutely passionately in love he is with you today? It hasn't, it hasn't waned. It hasn't changed since you first knew him. It's consistent and constant. 
Scripture says in Zephaniah, and it's in the context of the Israelites, but it applies to us as well as an application that he rejoices over us with singing. Now, there's times where you saw him moaning and really just groaning over the waywardness and the rebellion of the Israelites. But he doesn't say that he rejoices over us with moaning. It says with singing. That's how he views you and I as his children. He's absolutely, passionately in love with us. And there's, that's so important because when I want to blow him off, kind of just forget him, and just kind of put him in a box, talking about God, just, you know what, I've got this part of my life, and I've got this part of my life, and I've got this part of my life, and, and Lord, you're this part of my life, sectioned off. And when I want to, when I want to do that, I think I've forgotten his passionate love that he has for me. Or I wouldn't do that. And when, he, and when we say, and, and again, somebody maybe even will ask you this week, if you tell somebody this week, you know what? Jesus is passionate in his love for me. And if somebody were to say to you, well, how do you know? How do you know? Did he tell you that? Did you hear it? You could say two words. You could say the cross. Because when the Lord Jesus was on that cross and they were even mocking him to come down. He was saying, in effect, I'd rather die than live without you to you and I. I'd rather die than live without you. This Friday night, we want to have a little movie night after we get back from our service and watch The Passion of the Christ. Remember that? It's 2004. Seven years ago it came out. And you remember when you saw it, if you've seen it, and if you haven't, check it out. I mean, the scriptures in, in one sense obviously is enough. But yet God at the same time allowed that movie to be made to quite accurately give us just maybe even an idea of the agony of what Jesus went through. And so I want to watch that because I don't want to forget, I don't want to forget the cross. That's the example of how I know so much that he loves me. Even before Christ went to the cross, he suffered, as we know, if we know the story, enormous pain. He went through six trials, three Jewish, three Roman. And we know from reading the account that they kept him up at night. It was an illegal trial. Shouldn't have even happened. Can you imagine going through six trials? He was a man, fully God, fully man. Imagine the impact that would have on just us, just the trial portion. And then the Roman soldiers making fun of him, blindfolding him, and then repeatedly, repeatedly beating him, and then clubbing him. And then on top of that, it didn't stop there. It's that crown of thorns. I was messing around in the garden the last few days. I have a passion for gardening, small p, I hope. And I, I have gloves, but for some reason I never wear them. And I think I'm going to tackle these roses without gloves. And every time, I, they get me. I've got two right now that are kind of still stinging two days later. And that's just a small, small little rose bush that's just coming into uh, fruition right now as it starts to get its act together in spring. And yet the Lord had this crown of thorns, not gently placed, 
but I suspect slammed onto his head. And then, in addition to that, plucking out his beard. Now, those of you who have a beard or mustache today, you know that if somebody just starts to do that, that hurts. And that's even if you're doing it, you're doing it gently. They're plucking out his beard, as it says in Scripture. And then, well, this has all happened. He's now going to be scourged. A whip with nine leather straps. Often they put little pieces, it's been said, of bone just to make the flesh tear more easily. Couldn't give more than 40 lashes or the person doing it would be executed. What they give the Lord Jesus, 39. This is before the cross. And then he went and carried his cross. And then the and time doesn't allow. And then study it if you don't know it already, just medically even what was occurring as far as the suffocation and the pain of hanging on a cross. Can't you understand, and, and I understand this, but not as fully as I want to. Don't, doesn't it help you understand Revelation 3 when you understand that why God has such a distaste, absolute pathetic taste for lukewarmness? He, he says those graphic words. He goes, I'd rather spit you out. I wish you'd rather be hot or cold. But I, he goes, I can't stand. I can't tolerate lukewarmness. And it cuts me to the core because I know that when he's saying that, what he's saying is, is because he goes, man, he goes, look, folks, look what I allowed my son to go through. For lukewarmness? Are we kidding? Are we serious? There's a song I heard recently on Caleb by Matthew West. And it's called The Motions. Maybe you've heard it. He said, this might hurt. It's not safe. But I know that I've got to make a change. I don't care if I break. At least I'll be feeling something. Because just okay is not enough. Help me fight through the nothingness of life. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking What if I'd given everything instead of going through the motions? And as I heard that song, that's what was speaking to my heart, is I don't want to go through the motions. Been a Christian 30 years. I want to keep pressing on in the power of the Spirit to love him passionately. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the only thing Christianity can't be is moderately important. Can't be. He deserves our entire life or nothing, hot or cold, but no lukewarmness. Last year, I took a 911 call from a man who couldn't breathe. I've taken that a lot over the years, 19, 20 years or whatever. But this man desperately was grasping for air. And then the phone dropped and he died. He died before we got there. And those were his last words that he said to me. He says, I, I can't breathe. Have you ever been in that situation where you just absolutely needed a, a 
You needed breath. You needed a gasp for air. Maybe you were drowning. Or maybe you were in some situation where, you know, you just wanted to bottle that one breath that you could have. May God bring us to the place where we see him as our, our daily bread or, if you like, as the air that we need to breathe just to be able to make it in life. That's the kind of passion today that will please him. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your passionate love for us. And we want to thank you that um, you didn't come down from that cross, but you stayed up there so that you would be able to have a relationship with us and with your father. Lord, we want to thank you that you are deeply and madly in love with us today. And I just pray this coming week that as we think of these things, that God, we will be increasing in our passion for you that you will occupy more and more of our heart and that we'll even have opportunities this coming week to share with someone, wherever we might be, just this passionate love that you have for us and that we in turn, how we want to love you back. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters. And I pray you just bless us as we go our individual ways. Pray we'll have a sense of your presence throughout in Jesus name. Amen.